Welcome, and thank you for joining our monthly podcast series on transforming experiences in healthcare and life sciences, where we discuss transforming patient and employee experiences for today and tomorrow with our hosts, Christy Rowe, Tony Land, and Rich Schwartz. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our seventh episode in the series on transforming experiences in healthcare and life sciences. I'm Christy Rowe, head of healthcare experience at Medallia, and I'm super excited today to introduce Erica Rubenstein, vice president at Mount Sinai Health System of Patient Experience. Erica is not only a certified patient experience professional, but also a certified social worker, something that we both share in common, which was really interesting to discover. It's also worth mentioning that Mount Sinai is one of the oldest and largest teaching hospitals in the U.S. And being in New York City, they were clearly at the epicenter of the first wave of COVID and have some really critical learnings to share on how they quickly mobilized to meet the needs of their patients and their staff. Welcome, Erica, and welcome to all of you listening today. The goal of this next 20-minute discussion is to dig deeper into employee well-being, better understand the impact of COVID on an organization that was right at the epicenter when it hit, and to learn what Erica and her team are doing to effectively address the needs of their staff. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Hi, Christy. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you sit in a very unique position as the chief patient experience officer at Mount Sinai Health System as it relates to the pandemic, especially. And here we are a year and a half into the pandemic and we're still seeing surges. We're still fighting the fight. And so I'm so honored that you're here to talk today about caregiver well-being and employee experience and all of the efforts underway at Mount Sinai. And just to share your overall perspective of, of what you've seen happen over the last year and a half there. Yeah, sure. So tell me, what has it been like for the caregivers at Mount Sinai since the pandemic started? What kind of impact are you seeing around stress and emotional exhaustion? Wow. You know, it's been a lot. And I think that it's so fascinating that as a country, right, different parts of the country are going through this in waves at different times. And New York City, for better or for worse, for, you know, in the beginning in 2020, we were really you know, at the epicenter of this. And I would say at Mount Sinai Health System, being really one of the largest, if not the largest health system in New York City, we were, as we say, the epicenter of the epicenter, right? And so, for example, you know, we were seeing some of our hospitals were hitting their annual mortality rate after one quarter, right? So after like the first quarter that we had COVID hit. So, staff that are just not used to seeing that level of death rates. They were coming into care for people that were dying. And and we really didn't understand this disease, this virus fully enough to know exactly what to do. So you can only imagine the toll that it was taking on the staff. And I think that we went from in the beginning to what is happening, right? And not just happening to us in our workplace, but what's happening to to us in in our personal lives as well, right? So it was Thinking about the staff who are coming into work to try and provide care to patients who are getting extraordinarily sick and dying, 
worrying about their own well-being, their family's well-being, their colleagues' well-being. And all of this is happening at the same time. And on top of that, in order to provide the best care to our patients, we because I should also mention we were saving hundreds, if not thousands of lives, right? While we were also watching patients that were succumbed by the, the virus, we were able to save so very many lives. And I think that while this was all going on, right, keeping in mind that staff were redeployed. So they were working in completely different environments than they were used to with very different people, the people that they weren't on a team with normally that they had to get to know. And this sometimes kept switching around as the need would pop up in a different location. Also, units themselves physically changed their appearance and the way that that you would work. So the flow physically just changed to make things safe for patients and safe for staff. And so all of these things contributed to added stress, right? In the very beginning, wondering, am I going to have enough protection for myself when I go to work? Making sure that I, my family is okay. Making sure that, do I need to stay in a hotel? Do, do I need food? Because I don't want to keep coming back and forth from home and potentially contaminating. And so that was the beginning. And, and I think we did a tremendous job as an organization trying to meet those needs. So identifying places where our staff could stay, making sure that there was food. We had an unbelievable amount of donations of food and those sorts of resources. And then when that became less of a need, I think what we started to see was the mental health toll that this has taken on everyone. And so very quickly, our experts from our medical school really mobilized in an amazing way to provide mental health support on site to our frontline staff. Our, our psychiatry department was a, a champion in this. I mean, oh my God. We also have an office of well-being and resilience that, that helped out tremendously. And out of that, and our leader, our dean of the medical school created a center for stress and resilience and personal growth. So a lot, a lot of resources came and you know, I would say that now where we are is folks that are really absolutely needing that that mental health support, but also an enormous, like you said, amount of burnout, an enormous. There's people that have left our organization because they've, they've left healthcare, right? They've needed a break. There's several people that have relocated. They've just left the city. They left the New York area to be with family, to just get a change. And there's others that are here that are that are really still suffering in, in various ways. And so it's really trying to listen and, and meet what their needs are. We, we're still learning. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful that you talk about, you know, people, how they're reacting to this pandemic. I mean, it's life changes are being made around their experiences. They're, they're leaving medicine or they're going into a different type of setting. And it's just, it's the the tentacles of this, if you will, around the personal lives of our caregivers and where this has brought them is so challenging to get your arms around because some are making moves like that, right? Where they're saying, I'm just out. Some are still here and are suffering significantly. And so, and, and you talked a little bit about some of the really impactful initiatives. It sounds like you mobilized very quickly around this issue of mental health of your care teams and started to offer programs and support. But, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more 
as we know in healthcare, those who serve, serve from a place of intrinsic motivation. And they often are, it's, they are often the last ones to kind of raise their hand and say that they need help. So I'm curious, as you offer these programs and support, do you see people leaning into it? Do you see people actually taking advantage of the resources that you've organized around your system? And, and if not, do you have ideas about how to ensure that you're reaching those who might be resistant? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's sort of our constant question that we're asking ourselves. Is it enough? Are we doing enough? Are we getting the word out? Are we are we meeting their needs in a way that's comfortable and, and that they would take advantage of, right? Because there are services there, but that doesn't mean that those are the services that our staff want or will take us up on, right? And so there's been a lot of that work in outreach. And, and I, I mentioned that Center for Stress, Resilience, and Personal Growth, because one of the things that they're doing, which I think is really, really clever, is they're partnering with peers in the organization to do a co-led peer sort of workshop training. So let's say you're a nurse manager that really wants to boost up your skills and resilience, right? I mean, any anybody by definition that's doing the job of a nurse manager at any major health system is resilient. Let me just start by saying that. It's exactly. the hardest job, hands down. And we have such phenomenal nurse leaders, nurse managers that, you know, many of them have said, I, I want to learn more about what it means to be resilient. What is this resiliency thing about? And so, They've partnered to either help co-lead workshops or just to, to help allow for their frontline staff to take part in it. And the, the group that has led the center under the leadership of Dr. Deborah Marin have really encouraged the very frontline staff to be of the first cohort. And so by, by nature of that, you're starting with the frontline. You're letting them talk about why this is important why, how it's impacted them. And I mean, there's nothing more powerful than word of mouth and, you know, learning from your coworker, hey, it looks like you're really struggling. You know, this has helped me. And so I think that there's power in that. We've also done things like set up through generous donations from our um, Coleman Institute, the, the Coleman family. We've set up these frontline relief what we're calling recharge rooms at most of our sites where we've partnered with this amazing organization called Studio Elsewhere. And they've been able to bring to the staff, sometimes it's their staff lounge, sometimes it's their conference room, places that are easily accessible to them where they would go, you know, hopefully anyway. We've brought these sort of virtual immersive experiences that are evidence-based, proven to de-stress and decrease anxiety. We've actually done sort of pre and post surveys as well. And we plan to do more of that research on how they felt going in and how they felt coming out. But they're able to kind of enter a space, feel welcomed, but then experience whether it's like sounds and visions of a rainforest or the ocean or the mountains. And they're able to, to spend time during their shift getting sort of you know, rejuvenated and, and, and decompressing so that they can then go back, go back on with, with less stress, right? Less tension, clearer mind to care for the patients. And that's been something that we have tried to just physically bring to them, right? And then allow for the leaders to, to let them go off and, and use it while they're, while they're here. 
I'm amazed by this because what you just described, I've always dreamt of, you know, when I was in the healthcare system at the beginning of COVID, I kept thinking about the, it, it, it was already a problem how our caregivers could step away for a moment. Lots of people don't realize caregivers are on stage, if you will, uh, you know, all the time. There's really no private place. They can go in an office and shut the door. I mean, they are out there. And that ability to just sort of find a, I used to dream of it. And I think someone's created something like this, like this now, like a, like a pod, if you will, or, Mm -hmm. or a room like that, or relaxation center where they can go and truly just recharge. And again, even without COVID, the trauma that they work with, the stress, the loss to have that space for them to just center themselves because the work is so hard. I, I think that is just absolutely extraordinary. And so you did too, you moved two big boulders. It sounds like not only did you get the physical space, which is really hard in healthcare because most of us have our buildings aren't made for that sort of thing. And then you also figured out how to let them kind of tap out for a moment from a time perspective, Mm -hmm. like to say, Hey, I'm needing this right now, or, you know, and, and to make that a norm and to make it okay, which is really a, a seismic shift. Typically in healthcare, it's very hard to, to step away and whatnot because we're we're working so hard. So you're really accurate on the space issue. I mean, it definitely was the major challenge for so many of the sites we worked with is identifying like a space that they could use for this. Some identified a space that we could only use temporarily. They're trying to identify a more permanent space. I mean, the good news here is that the leadership just once they hear about it, they're like, oh my God, we have to bring this to our to our teams. We just have to. And they've been very committed. It's just what you said. It's finding the space, right? And then finding, carving out the time and prioritizing that the staff get to utilize it. Wow. I love it. That is that is a great, great story. So I want to shift a little bit and talk. You, you've mentioned this a few times, really listening to your teams and making sure that you're developing solutions with them. And we have this quote that we share here at Medallia that we say a lot, which is, Feeling deeply heard is as close to feeling loved as one can get. And I think it's so important to think about that because there's something about when teams and employees and caregivers feel very heard and that the insights that are gained are acted upon, it can be very engaging and of great service to the care team. So I know you've done a lot lately around really listening to your care teams, hearing their voices, and then, you know, perhaps creating some strategies based on on what you're finding out. So could you share a little bit about about those efforts? Yeah. So I would say sometime last fall, my team, we have patient experience improvement coaches on our team and in, 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 in our patient experience world here at Mount Sinai. And they're very in tune to what the staff on mainly our inpatient hospital units are, are grappling with and what the challenges are. They really shifted their focus of coaching to improve the patient experience during the height of the pandemic to really coaching with an eye on wellness. This is this is really what their focus was. And so once things began to kind of settle a little bit, right, and this sort of end of into the summer of last year and the beginning of the fall, they developed a guide and conducted what, what they called listening sessions. And so they partnered with nursing leaders and they identified areas and staff, and this was all, you know, all staff. So day shift, night shift, and they brought in very small groups of staff. So 
some days you'd have four or five or six people. And sometimes you just have two individuals, like whoever felt comfortable. And they would ask them these structured questions around what supports they needed, how they were doing in the wake or during COVID, what they needed from their leaders. And then we also ask questions around racism and discrimination. And if they felt that they saw this either, either inflicted upon them or their patients. And we got, we got very sort of honest and open dialogue going and all for the purposes of bringing it back to the local leadership so that they could respond to the staff. And so that was sort of our first wave of doing this. And the coaches continue to have and conduct those listening sessions, you know, at the request of of the leadership, I will tell you, and it's only partnering with folks that are ready to then give that feedback and do something about it. Right. And then this past June, it was probably a year plus leading up to it. We launched our very first health system wide employee engagement survey. And it was, you know, the executive sponsors of that have been our chief human resources officer and our chief medical officer. And they have been so committed to making sure that we hear the voices of our frontline and of our leaders. And so we, we call that survey the Your Voice Counts survey. And we we message it in that way because we need people to trust that we understand if we're not hearing you, if we're not listening to you and, and bringing in your voice, how can we possibly plan for what's next or how we would react if another surge happens or, or if, you know, something else pops up and we're struggling in another way. And so we ask questions around culture of safety nursing excellence, but also equity, diversity, wellness. And so we're, we're really pleased that we had a very good response rate from that survey. It was open through most of the month of June. And now we're waiting to get the results of that. And hopefully sometime in September, we'll be rolling out training around what those results are, what that means for your area, and then helping people take next steps so that staff feel like their voices were in fact heard and suggestions that they make hopefully can start to be implemented. It sounds like so much has gone into a very comprehensive listening program. I love that you've kind of tethered together a a formal annual survey, which is great for, for metrics and areas of focus and key drivers. Those are all things that are really important, but then your, your more informal listening program that, you know, just know, just for teams to know that that's available because there is, there's organizational data and there's organizational metrics And there's something about kind of an ongoing pulse, if you will, you know, that kind of ability for people to feel heard or if a team is struggling to get that up and out, that can be so helpful. And I think what's really interesting about your story is it highlights for me the intersection of patient and employee experience. When you talk about the skills of your coaches and what they can do in terms of supporting teams and driving the patient experience and elevating that, they also have very similar skill sets to supporting the caregivers and the teams. And so I've always felt like there's this sacred intersection of the two and that that story just really highlighted that for me. Yeah, we definitely see that. I'm glad you brought that up. There's such a synergy between what our patients tell us and what our staff tells us, right? And so when when a coach goes out to maybe help a manager be their own coach, right, with their own frontline staff to to show our values at Mount Sinai of teamwork and empathy, right? Um, 
we know that the first thing we must do is take care of each other. And so if we're not showing empathy and compassion um, and equity, quite frankly, for our own, for, for our colleagues, how can we even begin to demand that from our staff to show that to our patients, right? And a patient knows, a patient knows when, when the staff that's taking care of them are not working well together or are not, you know, happy with their job. We hear from patients when they say, wow, you guys work together like a well-oiled machine. It just seems like you all really love being here and, and working together. And so we know what it should look like and sound like, but then it becomes when it, when it's not looking and sounding that way, how are we hearing from our staff in terms of what the solution is and not just expecting that leaders should know all the answers, but really looking to the staff to say, you're doing the work each day. How can it be better? How can we make it better for you? Because we know that what people want most when we've talked to our staff and we've asked them these questions, they say, I just want to be able to, to give good care. And I really worry on a particular day, let's say when their unit is short staffed for whatever reason, they're floating patients, they're floating staff to go to the COVID units or whatever it might be. What are they really worried about? We, you know, you hear staff complaining about that, about, about staffing. But I think what they're really worried about is I might not be able to bring the best care to my patient today because of this. I might not have all the attention that I normally would give. And that's why I came into healthcare. So we have to really hear that and listen to them. I so agree with you. When I see the concern about staffing, I always go to that is a concern about the quality of care that is delivered. That is, and it's again, that intrinsic reason why they serve. And it's what leads to this concept of moral injury where I am not able to care for someone in the way that I think they should be cared for, which goes back to the whole topic of burnout. That's one of the, you know, prevalent causes of it. So it's, uh, I think sometimes we have to learn to look beneath what, what might be being said and say, what's really happening here, right? Like what's really, let's go deeper with, with what that pain is. And, and then it's, helps us to get to the, to the right solution. I so appreciate you spending time with me today. You just gave so many great examples of what organizations can be doing. I'm really just so impressed with all you've done, given where you are, again, the epicenter of the epicenter, as you said, literally, and still fighting it. And yet how you've been able to, as an organization, really align yourself around your care team and and stand up all these wonderful programs and and launch the survey and all that. It's really a testament to your leadership, your team's leadership, and just the the great organization of Mount Sinai Health System. So thank yeah. you for spending time with me today. Thanks so much, Christy. I'm proud to be able to share the work we're doing. So thanks for giving me that that opportunity. I appreciate it. What did you think of today's conversation? What did you find most interesting? If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. And if you have suggestions for future topics, let us know. To learn more about transforming experiences, visit Medallia.com. Tune in to the next podcast. Until then, stay healthy and safe.